Happy Friday, Flow Racing. It is Courtney Anders here with yet again another episode. I cannot believe we are already on episode 16 of Flow Racing's only drag racing podcast, Right Off Track. And I say this every week, but I really feel like I mean it in a very, very different manner each week that we do this. This episode is super, super special to me. Forget what we're doing on the racetrack. We just finished the U.S. Nationals in the NHRA scene. We're coming back up on the end of the season for PDRA. We're about to hit deck week. It's countdown to the championship time. But like sometimes that crap doesn't matter, right? What we do and why I love what we do is the people of this sport. And I've told you guys this before, but in case you have not heard me, First things first, I am a fan of drag racing. I grew up loving drag racing more than anything on the planet, played sports, been into fitness, went to school, did the volleyball, cheerleading, all the things. But drag racing has been something so constant in my heart and in my passions. And the guest that I have today is a huge reason for that. And I am not blowing smoke. I am not fluffing this in any manner because I've told her this. She's probably sick of hearing it a thousand times over and over again. But we have the winningest woman in motorsports. And we're going to talk about why that's important and why that's not. My lifetime drag racing hero, Angel Sampe, is going to be joining us. We're not going to talk about her story. I'm going to make this very clear here, guys. Sometimes y'all give me a little shit, tell me it's rude. I need to introduce the flow racing audience to what they've done on the track. Listen, Google her. She's Googleable. She's done all the things. She's a champion time and time again. I want you guys to get to know the woman behind the wheel, two, four, however many it may be. But I'm going to bring her on without further ado, my drag racing hero, Angel. Thank you so, so, so much for taking the time to come on Flow Racing's Right Off Track. Thank you, Courtney. I'm glad to be here. And thanks for that wonderful introduction, even though people say you may not have introduced me. Um, I really am proud of every word you just said, because you and your sister uh, are, I look up to you guys too, as well. Just, I know that you came along after me because I could probably be your mom. I'm old enough, but I love you guys just as much. So thanks for all that. I appreciate that. And again, like I, like I said, I know you probably get sick of it, but you, we all get into this sport for the reason of the sport or whatever, whatever the person's passion may be, we get into something because we love what that is. But I think the people, how we're treated, how we're perceived in this sport matter in, in the longevity of why we're here. And this wasn't on my agenda of things to talk about, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring it up here as a kid going to these races, standing behind the ropes, waiting to get autographs, getting pictures, you know, yourself, there's some that are more friendly. There's some that aren't, we're busy. There's things going on at the racetrack where we, we may be perceived as they didn't take time for the fans, but I've got to tell you a huge part of the reason why I've always been a fan of yours is because you make that time for it. And now that I'm on the other side of the rope with you, here you are still making time for me on this podcast that's ever growing and flow. And, and I just want to be able to introduce you to the flow racing audience because we're new to drag racing and anybody who's done anything, picked up a national dragster or drag illustrated, they know your face, they know your story, but if we're catching somebody in between watching the road to Eldora or the million or, or whatever it may be, they may not know who you are here. So I'm going to give you just a brief second here to kind of give us a synopsis of let's give us your resume, your three-time champ, all the things. So what makes you so great to girls like me on the racetrack? What have you done on the racetrack? <laughs> well, um, I don't feel like I've done anything more than, you know, my counterparts out there that have won races and championships. I'm just another racer. I know you understand that completely. 
Um, I've been racing motorcycles since I was six years old, started on dirt bikes and then moved to street bikes and drag bikes. Um, I just, I have a passion for motorcycles that is never ending. It, it's pretty ridiculous how bad it is. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to race. I wanted to race motorcycles. I, unlike what you said, I'm not a huge drag racing fan. I have become one over the last year and we'll talk about that later, I'm sure, but I'm more of the racer, not the, I don't like to go to the racetrack and watch the races. I like to be on the racetrack and that's pretty much in everything that I enjoy doing. I don't like watching anything. I like doing it. So um, I was introduced to the sport many, many years ago when John Myers was racing pro stock motorcycles and it became a goal of mine to become a pro stock motorcycle racer. I had a feeling that I would win a race or two. Um, I hoped and dreamed to be a champion. I did not really know how successful my career would be uh, but I have to give all the credit to that to the people I surrounded myself with so as you know drag racing is not a one man or one woman sport it's uh we need a whole crew a whole team of people behind us whether it's from PR people to mechanics crew chiefs team owners coaches mom and dad brother sister everybody I mean it takes the whole scenario to make it happen and I was fortunate enough to, to have a ton of positive people around me. So um, you said you called me the winningest female in motorsports. I don't want to get too ahead, but, uh, you know, your sister and I are tied now. And I definitely consider her the winningest already. I don't know why they don't just give her the title. Um, we have both 46 wins, but she has five championships to my three. So she's the girl now. So I'm hopefully going to give her a run for her money. And maybe we can go back and forth and hand that title off to each other. Listen, that's, that's funny. You mentioned that. So we'll dive into that first. I have a unique view in this sport. And I think that that's why this podcast is so important to flow racing is because I've been in the cars, not in a professional sense, but my view has been, I've been there the whole time. And there's a lot of people who think that I just travel along and hoot and holler when Erica wins or what it, whatever it may be. But I found my place in this sport because of all of the different avenues that I've been able to witness. And I've got to tell you with my sister, and those of you watching this, my sister, Erica Enders is a five-time pro stock champion. Somehow she gets brought up in every dadgum thing I do. And that's just <laughs> that's the coattail I ride and, and we're making it work, but it's the reason I am where I am. But when Erica first started racing, period, right? Like you were already well ahead of the game. There's Shirley, there's you, there's, you know, there was Shelly Anderson, but when it comes to being decorated, in Erica and I's career and in her early career, you were always that bar, right? So you had however many it was when we when we made this calculation, I think it was 42 or 43 that you had when Erica first said, well, I can be the second winningest. We had won maybe two or three. <laughs> and so I'm not even kidding you, Angel. It was a goal of ours. That was the end game. We can't touch her. She's untouchable. So let's just go try and be, you know, the gesto to her queen. And it's so crazy because I reminded Erica of that last weekend or two weekends ago in Brainerd, whenever it became possible that we were going to, to catch you is, dude, remember we were sitting in the trailer, just wanting to be second to that because <laughs> you were so far ahead. And so I think it's, it's really important to, to lay out the fact that you said what you said about my sister, but Years came long before that. And and the journey for a female in the sport, and we're going to knock the word female off here in about 20 minutes, but the journey for a female in the sport, I think has been more difficult than people give it credit to because yeah, absolutely, it's one of the only sports where you put on a helmet, it does not matter what you have, right? But 
people still talk about it. And so you're a unique sense of where you were light years ahead of it when it comes to decoration and all of that. But talk a little bit to us about that journey, because you were one of the first ones and, and how tough that was to be taken seriously might not be the correct term because we've always taken you seriously, but maybe treat it a little different and how you react when you win, when you lose doing yeah. interviews and things and talk a little bit about the, the toughness and how that made you who you are. Yeah. Yeah. My journey was, uh, was a tough one. First and foremost was because I did this, um, unlike what I just said by surrounding myself or by the, you know, the perfect people to get this done getting myself into the sport was done 100% by myself. I was alone with that. Um, you know, I didn't have a uh, family that did it. I didn't have, um, I didn't have anybody really to tell me how or, or, or open the door for me. So it was scratch and claw my way in all, all on my own. And everybody at first was telling me, uh, who are you and what do you think you're going to do? And it, you know, pretty much laugh at me when I said I wanted to race a pro site motorcycle or become a pro site motorcycle world champion. Uh, I went to Frank Holly's dry racing school and met George Bryce. And he was the first person, he, he and Jackie Bryce, who actually didn't laugh when I told them what I wanted to do. You know, at first they still weren't, you know, convinced they had to see me on a motorcycle, which is why I went to the school, but they didn't, they definitely didn't throw me, throw me back in the trash and say, you know, you girls can't do this. So they gave me an opportunity to do it. But along the way, it wasn't just getting into the sport, but it was staying into the sport that was really tough for me as a female. Um, I've had some failed marriages. And as you know, people are very, very harsh on that. And they don't even know the backstory to what was going on in my personal life. Um, first marriage was a good one. Just we grew apart with me traveling. Second marriage was a terrible one. Uh, so that was rough. That put a lot of stress on me. Um, it almost broke me completely, you know, with the name changes and trying to stay out there as a, as a female who was alone. So I was traveling to the races alone, going back to my hotel rooms alone, you know, of course, eating dinner with my team at the restaurants and stuff like that. But then when it's time to go away and you're alone for, I think as a female, that's a lot harder than it is for guys. Um, and then, you know, a lot happened where I retired and came back. But uh, I think the hardest part for my entire career was coming back as a mom, because then things changed for me personally and mentally. Uh, but it was even tougher to get on that airplane and leave because now not only was I just leaving my empty house, but I was leaving my husband and my daughter and leaving my child behind was the part that was the toughest out of the whole career. I mean, winning championships, winning trophies, putting up with the naysayers and the haters was nothing compared to getting on an airplane and leaving my baby at home. So that's all part of, you know, what I've had to go through. Um, of course, there's a ton more I could tell you about. <laughs> Ask away if you want to hear it. But uh, that was uh, probably the roughest part for me is the traveling, you know, the journey alone. My husband comes with me as often as he can. We can't really afford for him to do a whole bunch, but, uh, it's still today the hardest part of what I do. It is getting I'm, out there. <laughs> I'm glad no you family at the up. racetrack. Yeah, well, we have our little little weird family, but I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> that's something I think that people almost it's like taboo that we don't talk about, right? The these guys out here they can go through marriages, they can go through situations, and really kind of do it under the radar. And mm -hmm. my sister's been through it, Leah's been through it, I've been through it. This life out here as the female being out here on the road, 
leaving that home, it takes a, a hell of a, a sturdy situation to do that. But the mm. name changes, you know, that that I go from experience on our deal with Erica's, we kind of tried to let that go silently. But you've always taken things. Just oh, yeah. there's, there's people that won't let it go. They won't and let they, it go. It, and it's yeah, they find this one thing that they think is gonna hurt you the most. And they just keep throwing daggers with it. And I'm so over it. I don't care anymore. You know, I'm I'm proud of what I went through and what I learned from those mistakes. And um, I am who I am today because of it. You know, I got it right with my husband on the third try and things are great now, but uh, people just, they don't let that kind of stuff go for some reason. They don't. I've, I've always respected that you take it head on and, and in dealing with that and how we were going to deal with it, use you as an example. But I want to talk about your daughter. So your daughter, you said you come back as a mom, right? You're one of the only people that I can think of minus the, um, I think her name was Christy May, the volleyball player who played in the Olympics, had a kid, came back and did it. But there's not a lot of women in any sport that can balance that. You're a champion. You're all the things. You retire. You go find your happiness. You go find your personal zen, whatever it may be. You find a great man, have a kid, which you've always wanted to do. And figured out a way to balance that within yourself, but also use that as a way to let your daughter watch you as a positive role model to chase your dreams. I've seen it. I've seen you get emotional yeah. on stage. I've seen her so proud of you. And did you ever think when you retired that you would be coming back as a role model for your own daughter on no, that stage? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, when I, when I had her, I swore that I would never go back to racing because being a mom was such a, an amazing thing. There's no replacement for that. Um, all the championships, all the trophies can get, I can give it all back, you know, just for her. There's no way I, I would, I would give her up for any of that. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough decision on a daily basis for me. You know, I, I decided to come back, not on my own choice, not even on my own terms. Uh, the team that I was racing for before their driver quit in the middle of the season or rider, whichever one you want to call a bike guy. Uh, and they needed me to come back for just a couple of races until they could find another person to take over the seat. And I did not want to do it for many reasons. The biggest reason was because I was afraid. You know, I'm a mom now. I have a lot to risk and I didn't want to get hurt. And I just didn't know if I could do it. It had been six years since I even sat on a motorcycle. So I didn't know if I wanted to try it again. Uh, they asked me just to come out to a test session, see how I liked it, see if I could still do it. And we'd go from there. And of course, uh, that was like offering a drink to an alcoholic. So as soon as I got on that motorcycle and I happened to have my baby girl standing right behind me, she was, uh, I think, almost four, three or four years old when I came back. And um, I was petrified. I was trembling and shaking, but I got the motorcycle down the racetrack fairly quickly. I think it was like a 786, I mean, a 686 on my first pass back after six years, which was pretty remarkable and instantly, you know, wanted to do it again was supposed to be a two race deal. It ended up being, I never got off the bike. Um, but still I struggled every single time, even to this day, I struggle with every time I leave home, especially now she's 12 years old. She's uh, 12 and a half, but she acts like she's 16. And I wonder, am I doing the right thing? You know, I, I should be home with my babies. I have two daughters now. I adopted one. Um, should I be home? Am I being selfish, chasing my dreams, going out racing? You know, is that a selfish thing? I should be at home doing the mom thing, but I'm trying to find a happy medium because I do believe that separation from each other is important because Ava and I were, were not separated for the first four years, not even for one minute. Uh, and it got a little rough, but I think her having time away from me is important. 
um, and me being able to show her what's possible when you surround yourself by the right people and chase a dream with all your passion. So instead of her reading magazines or watching videos, she actually gets to see it. Um, but it doesn't make it any easier when I have to leave her, you know, and she calls me, which just happened at the last race. She calls me crying her eyes out because she had an issue, you know, a personal issue with a friend that her, upset her and she needed her mom and I wasn't here. Of course, thanks to FaceTime and, and cell phones these days, we can bridge that gap, but um, I'm still not home. You know, I'm not home to give my baby a hug if she needs it. But like I said, I struggle with it every day. I'm hoping I'm making the right choice. Um, it is what it is. This is what I've chosen. She seems to be okay with it. She, uh, and I talk about her a lot because Maya, my adopted daughter, she's really good with all of it. She loves that I race and she's okay with me being gone. But Ava is a little bit more attached. And um, she told me, I thought you quit racing, mom. You know, when I started, I went back this year. I thought you quit. I was like, I did quit. I'm not actually competing this year. And then now I am going to be competing. So we're starting all over again. I think I'm going to reiterate it again. I just don't think that people give enough credit, not that you need it because you're happy in all of the areas of your life, but I don't think that people give enough credit for that balance that it takes because there's so few of you that have actually attempted that. And so one more question about your kids real quick. Drag racing seems to be generational. It seems to be in the blood. People want to do it. Mm -hmm. Do either of your children have any desire to do this or is it, does the buck stop here with you? <laughs> Um, I think it stops here with me. They don't show any desire for drag racing. Um, they both have motorcycles that they ride at home. Ava has mentioned um, the junior dragsters, but just because we don't have any and, you know, we're not there. I think if I were able to provide that for them, you know, take them out to the drag races and put them in a car, they would both absolutely love it. But it's just not something we've given them or introduced to them other than them coming to the track and watching me. So they don't even really get to see juniors or anything like that. Now I heard that there was a junior drag bike league that was trying to get started. And if that happened, I, I probably would have to make a way to do it because I want to <laughs> see them or not. But um, I don't know. They just, they don't ask for it. You know, they have their motorcycles here. They ride them every once in a while, but they both have their own interest. And I think that's one thing you learn when you become a, par a parent because you think, oh, well, I'm going to have a little girl or a little boy and she's going to be exactly like me. She's going to like all the same things. And that is so not true. Like uh, I hate basketball and Ava loves it. So, I mean, there's just things that she loves that I didn't do and things that I love that she just won't do. So um, Maya, on the other hand, I think would be really good at all, you know, all of it. I think Maya actually has a mechanical mind. I think she would be good as a, a, a crew person. And, and maybe she'd love driving, but like I said, it's just not something I've given them the opportunity to do. So they're both going their own routes. I just think it's so cool. They get to watch you be the champion that you are, but you mentioned that you came back this year. So again, guys, you can Google the story. She's on a bike. She retires, goes, has a family, comes back, what seems temporarily stays for a little bit with the Vance and Hines deal that ends and you're thinking, in my opinion, it ended abruptly, but I just go on the, on the cycle yeah. deal. So it ends abruptly to you. At this point in the timeline, are you thinking, again, this is it. My time on the bike is over. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, I was willing to do whatever I had to do to figure out a way to race a motorcycle on my own. Um, my goal was to own my own motorcycle. I've never done that before. I've never raced, um, you know, as me being the boss. And I wanted to give that a try because... I let the pressure get to me last year, big time. Uh, I was sinking in quicksand. I 
mistakes after mistakes and I couldn't bring myself out of it. I kind of knew, you know, it was performance based. And if I didn't, if I didn't get my head out of my butt and start winning races, I was going to lose my ride. And that's exactly what happened. And I just couldn't dig my way out. But so when I figured that out, you know, like I, I just blew the best opportunity of my life. Um, I wanted to come back and have fun. So my goal became find a motorcycle or lease one and then come back to race just for the fun of it. You know, even if I knew that the, the possibility of me winning wasn't there, I just wanted to do my job, do a good job driving and have a good time for a few, a few more times before I call it quits on my terms. Your I didn't terms. want anybody to tell me. Yeah. Cause I was actually told, I think it's time you announce your retirement. Like who, who tells you, you need to announce your retirement before you've even said you want to do that. And so that kind of lit a fire under, under me. And I was like, I'm not retiring. I'm going to figure this out. Um, but then the mission thing came along. I hope I'm not going up too much nope, ahead this for is you. Perfect. But, uh, We're going right. In the yeah. Time. Yeah. So um, I got a phone call from my sponsors who, who I was with, with the Vance and Hines team, uh, mission foods, Mr. Gonzalez and Satish and all the good guys at, uh, at mission foods. And they wanted me to become the spokesperson for the mission too fast, too tasty NHRA challenge. First, I was like, what is this? And they started explaining it to me. You know, it's a race on Saturday where the, the, the four finalists from the previous race will compete against each other for a check and extra bonus points towards the championship. It's a really exciting deal. We want you to be the spokesperson for it. And I'm like, oh, that's just, you know, that's just not, not what I want to do. I want to race. So I asked them, well, can I race? And they said, no, we want you to be the spokesperson only. And so that was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. So I really had to think about it. Um, they didn't seem to want to take no for an answer. So we negotiated, I, you know, the races, the challenge races are only in the regular season. The countdown races do not include the mission challenge. So I said, okay, well, would you allow me to race in the countdown? So that way, because at first, you know, I did say I only want to do a few more races. So the countdown would be enough. And so we negotiated that part of the contract and I was allowed to race in the countdown. So I became the mission spokesperson. So at first I felt like, you know, am I just a trophy girl? I'm at the end of the track putting on the hat and the medallion on these guys. And I felt so awkward because that's not me. Um, but they wanted me to do social media and stuff like that about the race and about the, you know, who was winning, what was happening. And at first, oh my God, Courtney was terrible. Like I didn't know how to interview anyone. I didn't know what to ask. I felt so stupid. You could tell if you go back and look at my beginning videos, they were horrible. <laughs> I felt like the guy on, uh, What's that show? And he says, I don't know what to do with my Ricky hands. Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> that was me because I just didn't know what to do. Um, and then I somehow got thrown into a Moto America race where I went to the road racing and uh, got just thrown into the pits and interviewing these riders who I, I didn't know the riders. I didn't know about road racing. It, it was like, it was crazy. And, but over that weekend, it was like breaking a wild horse. So they, I got broken in. And I realized how easy what I was doing at the NHRA drag races was because here I am. I know everybody. I know drag racing. I know what's going on. I know all the sponsors. This is so easy. And I, so I just had to figure out how to relax and have fun with it. And so what happened over the, the year was I started to really become a race fan. So that's when now I am a race fan and before I wasn't. And I became really close friends with a lot of the drivers who I just knew before. But now, you know, I get to hang out with a lot of them. I've seen, probably just like you, I've seen a bunch of behind the scenes stuff at NHRA now. I go up and sit with Evan and watch all the stuff that goes on back there. I love the TV trailer. Um, I just love the sport now. I love everything about it. And I feel so blessed to be there 
even though I'm not getting to compete. But anyway, back to the, I'm going to race in the countdown. So um, as I'm figuring out which bike am I going to rent or buy or what am I going to do? And I had lots of options. I talked to just about everybody out there and uh, you know, everybody was wanting to help all the, all the guys who owned motorcycles wanted to help, but I kept calling Antron to find out from him, which one do you think, you know, this is what Matt said. This is what Corey said. This is what Chris said. And I was, I was telling him, he, and every time I talked to him, he'd say, Angel, I don't, I don't want you to race a pro stock bike anymore. I think you need to try cars. And he just kept telling me this. I'm like, oh my God, as if I'm never going to race a car. So, uh, and especially not a top fuel car, but he kept saying it and kept saying it and kept saying it. And he finally asked, what is the problem? Like, why don't you want to try a car? And then here we go again. It was back to, I'm afraid of it. And so, so he started just, you know, telling me the differences. He's like, oh, Joe, you're doing 200 miles an hour on a pro stock motorcycle with nothing protecting you. Why are you afraid to get in a car with a roll cage and seat belts and all this stuff? I like, I don't know. I guess it's just the fear of the unknown. So I finally eventually said, okay, I'll try it. And then uh, we put together some situations where I was like, all right, we're, we're going to test and, and Jasmine Salinas' car is what I did. So we went and did that, ended up getting my A-Fuel license and absolutely fell in love with being strapped inside of a dragster. So Motorcycles is a been there, done that, and four wheels is my new future. Um, I said in an interview recently, I feel like I've been reborn in drag racing, so I'm starting all over from the beginning now. I think it's kind of crazy that you you almost just repeated yourself with an X factor of being something, even from the interviews, because I feel the same way that you do about the interviews. I've tried to find my place in the sport for 20 years of where I wouldn't just be somebody's sister or somebody's PR rep and really have a voice of my own. And the first time that they made me do a podcast or do an interview, I go back and look at them now. I'm the same way. I could just throw up when I watch those. <laughs> Cause I'm like, who let me speak? Like that's crazy. <laughs> you've got to just throw yourself out there and do yeah. it for the record. I think you do a great job. I've, I didn't Thank watch you. your first one by any means, but um, before I get into this, Antron, don't, stuff, please don't. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. I tell my boss, I want to throw away episodes one through six of Right Off Track. Just throw <laughs> the trash. Don't let anybody see them. But do you feel like you said you felt like the Vance and Hines thing in hindsight that you were letting the the best part of your career go, the greatest thing go because of mistakes you were making? We're all drivers. We do we do crazy things that happen for a reason. I think beyond our control. This mission, too fast, too tasty thing, professionally, personally, yes, I think that you're able to see a different side of it. You're seeing different talents that you didn't know that you had, but professionally, I mean, you're, I saw you in a fire suit with their, their name on it that we'll talk about in a minute. You're still wearing the hat. Like that has to be something that you're, you're proud of and that you unwillingly just stumbled upon that seems to be like, they're going to be a partner with you. Yeah, definitely. So I, um, I went to them and told them that I, you know, I still want to race in these countdown races. It's not going to be on a motorcycle though. And I told them that I was going to give the dragsters a try and uh, they seemed to be really excited about it. And, you know, we talked about a potential sponsorship and um, fortunately for me, they came through with it. So my major sponsor is, is mission foods. And then I have a couple of associates with Getrex and Hank's Defers is going to be helping out this, this year as well. So, um, I'm going to do the Dallas, Vegas, and Pomona races. Uh, that was pretty much all we could put together at this last minute, but I'm excited about it. But yes, it was an honor to know that, you know, coming off the Vance and Hines team with Mission as my sponsor, they didn't want to let me go. They, they brought me on as their spokesperson. Um, 
for the Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge. And now they still want to be a part of my racing career uh, in the Stragster. So I don't know what the future holds. I, I'm, we're looking to hopefully do a full season of A-Fuel next year. And then I would start testing for top fuel with the ultimate goal of racing top fuel in 2025, if possible. But um, it, it is a really good feeling, like you said, to know that I, I did a good enough job for a sponsor because I really tried from the very beginning. Um, and it wasn't just because they were sponsoring me, helping me race. So I'm going to promote their product, but I actually have always used mission products and love their products. And uh, once I got to know everybody at the company, I fell in love with them because they are just race oriented. They, mm -hmm. Mr. Gonzalez is probably the biggest race fan and racer that I that I've ever met in my whole life. He he's involved in every form of racing there is. And uh, they're just a fun bunch of people. If you've ever looked at the social media pages or uh, missionfoods.com, they do a lot of really funny and fun stuff with all the racing that they uh, they're involved with, especially the, uh, the cars, I'm trying, not the formula one, but IndyCar, they, they have some really fun stuff with their drivers. So I'm proud to be a part of the company and I hope to stay with them for a really long time. I'm glad they've invested so much in our deal. I feel I said this the other day, kind of jokingly, I, this isn't an NHRA podcast. So I feel like I can say this, but I feel like we say the word mission more than we say the word camping world because of how many times these <laughs> too fast, too tasty deals are going on, but it's yeah. great. They picked a, an awesome spokesperson with you and I'm so glad they're continuing. Thank you. Um, but on this Antron front, now I'm going to dive into this Antron front. You said you kept going to Antron and, and if you're a postdoc bike fan, you know, the history of you two, he raced there before top fuel. If you guys, in yeah, I guess we probably need to explain this, that, but, huh? <laughs> but why on a personal level, why is why was his opinion so important to you, and why did you want to team up with him in this next venture of, of your career? So Antron and I have been friends for 26 years now. We met when he attended Frank Holly's Drag Racing School, and I was teaching there with George Bryce. Um, so I actually taught Antron how to ride a pro stock motorcycle, and then he became a very fierce competitor of mine when he was on Team 23, and I was still with Star Racing. Uh, we were very good friends off the track, but fierce competitors on the track. And then when I lost my sponsor with Winston and we were struggling to find uh, more money to keep racing, we ended up calling it quits and I was sidelined. Um, didn't know what was going to happen. Didn't know if I was going to, was going to be the end of my career, but I made an announcement that I wasn't going to be racing anymore due to lack of sponsorship. And Antron called and he said, Oh, you're going to race. Uh, he said, I have a, I have an extra motorcycle. He had just bought another motorcycle for himself. He was going to be switching from the bike he was on to a newer one. And he had enough money to race a full year for himself. But he figured he would have enough money to put both of us out there for at least half the season. So um, by the goodness of his heart and wanting to, you know, keep the sport, he, he says that I needed to be out there for the class. So he wanted to make that, that sacrifice to, you know, to keep me out there put me on a motorcycle and uh, lo and behold, it worked. And we got the army sponsorship just a few months later after he and I started racing on team 23 together. So the U S army called, they were interested in the two of us. Um, they brought both of us on board with Tony Schumacher. And we had that sponsorship for, I think four years, um, 2003 to 2007. And that last year when we lost the army deal is when Antron was transitioning to top fuel. And then that's when I was sidelined again due to lack of sponsorship and ultimately decided that I was done racing and took the six years off and thought that I wasn't going to come back. But um, my relationship with him grew every year. I mean, we've just been great friends. Um, 
he's probably one of the most important people in, in my life just because of how awesome he is. And anybody that knows Antron loves him. He's just, he's one of those addicting personalities. You can't get enough of him. He's always happy. Even if he's having a bad day, you're not going to know it. So over my career, especially after he moved to Top Fuel um, and we weren't in the same class anymore, I would go to him for advice and, uh, you know, just a little pick me up if I needed it. If I had a bad day at the racetrack, I didn't end up in his in his lounge talking to him and Brian and Mark, you know, just confiding in them about how bad of a day I was having or how I was feeling. And they were always there to help. And so it was kind of natural when, you know, I called him at the end of all this and, and told him what I wanted to do. And he started talking me into this. And now once again, he has brought me on board and I am now part of AB Motorsports and his accelerate program, which is uh, what he wants to do with that is to help people get into the sport or get into top fuel or get into really anything they want to do in drag racing. Uh, he has the right people behind him and the, enough knowledge to really train and coach anybody to do anything they want in the sport. So Antron's biggest goal is to help the whole sport grow. And um, he feels with the Accelerate program, he can do that. And I'm the lucky first person to be part of that. So AB Motorsports, here I am. Um, a Fuel headed to Top Fuel, hoping we can make that happen. That's all going to depend on funding now. I think it's so poetic given where you guys started and where it is now. And I couldn't agree more. He was on this podcast maybe four or five episodes ago and same deal. It was like seven 30 in the morning. We had to film it and he was hell bent on fitting it in. And I'm like, <laughs> we can get, do it on another week. It's not a big deal. This isn't no, I'm going to do it. He was chipper as ever. I was still sipping my coffee, barely waking up. <laughs> I think he is so important. Hey, I want to know what, he, like I tell him whatever happy pill you're on, I want it. Dude, but he, yeah, he's crazy. just, he's awesome. He's just full of energy all the time. Um, I'm so happy to be back together with him on the same team because when I raced with him with the U S army, that's the best I ever was. It was the, it was the best probably physical condition I was in mental condition. He, you know, just being around him and racing with him. So I feel like I, I have a lot more success ahead of me now that I have him and his whole team behind me. So let's talk about when the queen of two wheels gets in four wheels, you're, sitting in that car about to light it up for the first time, be as vulnerable as you can be. You've never steered away from it here. I mean, <laughs> what was going through your mind at that very moment? Were you like, Oh shit, what did I do? <laughs> yeah, I was absolutely petrified. I mean, even my knees were shaking and I'm never usually at a loss for words. I can talk to anybody about anything forever. Uh, but that day, the first time I got strapped into that car, there was nothing coming out of my mouth. I mean, Antron couldn't even, I couldn't talk to him. He was bending over in, you know, near the cockpit telling me, this is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to feel. And are you okay? You're ready. And he'd ask me a question. And I was just like a zombie. There was nothing coming out of my mouth and fear just pouring out of my pores. And it was the fear of the unknown. You know, the, the weird part was I'm strapped and I can't move. I couldn't stand the head sock. I had, you put the head sock on. The only thing that's exposed is your eyeballs. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. This is not what I'm used to. I'm used to being on top of a being motorcycle. Free. You can move yeah. freely. Yeah. If I want to get off it, because if I get nervous and I want to get up and walk around for a second and then get back on the bike, you can do that. You can't do that in the car. So, you know, I just, at first I just hated it, but I was doing it because he wanted me to try it. And uh, so I made the first lap, did everything. So, so a couple of little mistakes here and there on the starting line. And then came back and like, oh, God, they're going to make me do this again. I mean, I literally just stomped the throttle and let off of it. Uh, did it again the second time, went a little bit further, but still was pretty nervous. 
we were up for the third round and he was talking to me again, asking me how I feel. And I said this in another interview and I really mean it. I wanted to punch him in his face. I wanted to just reach up and knock him out and say, I cannot believe you have me doing this crap. But uh, he's like, it's going to be fine. You're, you're going to love it. I was like, he With his thinks big I'm going to love this. Yes. Yeah, he thinks I'm going to love this and I don't love this. I don't even want to do this. And so I uh, went out for the third round and went a little farther. And I'm like, and I could actually process the information a little bit more because the first two rounds, I don't know what happened. Like if that car would have turned right, it would have been over because I just couldn't even think. And uh, so the third one, it, my brain started to catch up. And you got to remember, which Antron is the one that reminded me of this. I hadn't been on a racetrack in almost a year. So, you know, here I am. You know, I don't know how much you remember this, but if you don't make a run in two months or three months, getting back in the car on the bike that first time after the off season is pretty rough. You got to get the cobwebs out. So, I mean, it had been 10 months since I've been down the racetrack. And uh, now I'm going faster in the eighth mile than I've ever been in the quarter mile. So it was unbelievably fast to my brain. And when things started to catch up, I started to feel like, holy crap, this is, this is actually fun. And so the fourth run was even better. And then we took, that was on a Monday. We took Tuesday off. We went from Brainerd to Indy and I was able to absorb that information, think about what happened, do some mental runs for the next day. And on Wednesday, I got back in the car and that's when I fell in love with it. It was now the the straps and the head sock and the helmet. Everything is comforting now, where before it was just like, it's killing me. I can't breathe. I can't move. And now it's, I, I don't, I can't believe I ever raced a motorcycle now. I think about being exposed and, and the, you know, the, how crazy that is. And um, it's crazy how just a couple of test sessions have completely changed my mind about what I'm doing, but I am all in. I am 100% completely passionate about doing this a fuel car and looking forward to attempting the top fuel car. We'll see what happens when I get there, but I'm absolutely in love with it. And so glad he made me do this. You you're doing something in, in a similar sense that Tony Stewart. So our audience is very familiar with him. I feel like people think that it's just going straight. As long as you have, you know, a pair and are brave, <laughs> you can strap into anything and just go. It's just about the speed. But I think I've said this in another interview as well. What you and Tony, the way that you're doing it, I think you're setting a new tone and new precedence because you're, I mean, you're all the things that you are. You could really get into anything and probably be successful as long as you were good with it and comfortable. Same with Tony. He can do anything. We see him drive everything, but he made it a point to want to do it in a developmental sense. Mm -hmm. You're doing the same thing. And I think that that's, that needs to be done more in our sport because we have a lot of people. We're one of the few things where you can, if you wanted to, I'm not saying you can buy championships or wins, but you can buy a ride. You can come in, write a check, get in a car, not do well, but you can get in there and do it. And you've got two of the most decorated people in all of motorsports that are taking a step back, absorbing it mm -hmm. in the way that it should be and doing this. And do you feel that that's important for almost even the future of our sport and making sure oh, that yeah. we're breeding champions and not just breeding checkbooks? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my biggest goal, you know, with a fuel right now is to learn the starting line procedure and be so smooth at it and, and be able to do it subconsciously so that my competitor, the competitor in the other lane does not have to deal with anything stupid. You know, I don't want them to like, they're waiting on me or I'm going too fast or I, you know, messed up. Um, I would never want to get into 
top fuel and not know what I'm doing. So it's going to take some seat time. And that's the hardest part. You're talking about, you don't have to do much, but go straight and go fast. And that's totally False. couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I would have never known had I not done this, how much goes on from behind the burnout box to the staging lights. That's the part that I'm training and I'm doing the mental runs and I'm laying in my bed at night and I go through every step by step by step. That's the hardest part from when they start the car till you turn the stage lights on. That's where you got to get it right because there's a lot going on with the car then. There's a lot going on, you know, with you mentally and the person in the other lane, making sure that you're both on the same track and doing everything at the same time. Once the stage light comes on and you mash the loud pedal like Clay Milliken loves to say, yeah, you pretty much, you know, you're driving it down the racetrack trying to get it to go straight, but you also need to know what you're feeling. Right. And I don't want to get into a top fuel car and not know what some things feel like. Like the first day in, in the A fuel car, um, I hit the throttle and then let off because I couldn't see. All of a sudden I couldn't see. And I thought it was just the vibration of the car and the speed of the car. And I'm not used to it. I couldn't see. And it scared me. Well, I came back to the pit and they said, why did you let off the gas? I said, because I couldn't see. And they say, well, welcome to tire shake. So I didn't know that that's what it was. And I was like, oh, thank God that was tire shake because <laughs> I thought this is what it's going to be like. And I'm like, I can't, I, how do they do this? And so the second run, I was able to go a little bit further because we didn't have that tire shake and I was able to see a little, little bit more, but then it did start to shake the tires loose a little bit. And of course I started to not be able to see again, uh, third and fourth run that didn't happen. And so I was like, all right, now I know what that feels like at least, but I don't have any experience with, you know, a blower belt or, you know, anything happening. I did. Oh, when we got to actually it was my third test session after the U S nationals, um, my first pass in the car, left straight went perfectly straight I could see everything it was smooth it felt good and then all of a sudden it felt like I hit the brakes and the car threw me forward and so when I got out I told uh, the crew guys and the crew chief I said something happened at the top end maybe right right around a thousand feet it felt like I hit the brakes I didn't I didn't know if the parachute came out on its own or I didn't know exactly what happened and uh, it, it ended up dropping two holes so I was like oh so that's what yeah. that feels like yeah so I didn't know that they felt anything when that happened. You, you could see them going on the track and you see the header flame go away. But they do anchor, you, don't, you know? Yeah, I, did, I had no idea what that felt like. So now I know, and they were pretty proud of the fact that I picked up on, and I let off the gas immediately when it happened. And, and I learned that day that, you know, in testing, of course, I did the right thing, but in a race, just keep going. So um, there's a lot to learn. And, uh, and I want to do it the right way, the responsible way. And in a way where my brain can process it, Antron went from A fuel to top fuel with no problem in a very, you know, I think he just did a few test sessions and then went straight to top fuel, but uh, he was young and athletic and just, <laughs> I consider him way better than me with all that stuff. So he said he would never put me through that. He wants to uh, take it step by step with me so that I'll be comfortable. You said athletic, so now we're going to dive into your fitness stuff because <laughs> it's important. And again, I am—I have a, a unique view. I read all the things people say online about racing. I try and bring drag racing to light because it's my job. And I've heard people say things about like race car drivers. Or, yeah, it's a sport. They're not athletes. 
BS, right? So you just said it right there. He was young. He's athletic. You have to be of sound mind and of sound body to be able to do oh, yeah. these things. And I've watched you your whole career. You've always been been fit, been beautiful, all the things. But I feel like in the last couple of years, maybe even especially the last year, you have really amped up your fitness program. Why'd you do that? And what's it done for you mentally yeah. as a driver and physically? Well, so last year I went through a lot of uh, physical problems with my feet. Um, I have... I have a disorder on both of my feet called Norton's neuroma. I've had four surgeries. I don't know if you remember, I lacerated my Achilles several yep. year, years ago. So I've had, you know, I've had some issues. They had me on a lot of steroids trying to help with the pain. And I ended up getting surgery to fix it. Um, I still have some issues with my right foot, not nearly as bad, but because of that, my fitness kind of was lacking. I gained some weight with the steroids and stuff like that and wasn't doing good on the racetrack. And um, just, all around became pretty fed up with myself. Um, very disappointed in my performance. I was disappointed in my appearance, you know, my, my physical being, I am, I don't mind saying my age, I'm 53 years old now. My husband's a lot younger than me. My children are very young. I didn't have my daughter till I was 40 years old. And I just felt like I was starting to let myself go physically and mentally. And so it took the off season and losing my ride and and figuring out, you know, that here I'm going to be a spokesperson now. So, you know, people are going to be seeing me a lot more. And uh, I don't know exactly what lit the flame under me, but man, I, I just got back into it and started eating right again and working out hard. And I have just as well as the, I surround myself with positive and great people at the racetrack. I do the same thing here at home. Um, my best friends are all trainers and fitness buffs. So I hang out with people that are constantly in the gym. They constantly eat right. And I just got really motivated and, and pushed myself hard this year. And uh, now that my feet problems are better and I'm off of all the steroids and stuff and I'm doing a lot better and I just think I'm happier. That was a, a, a really big part of it was the stress of having to win is gone, you know, because I didn't have to compete this year. And I found true happiness within myself and I hadn't had that in a really long time. And so I think I am the walking, talking proof of if you're not happy, nothing else is going to go well for you. So that's where I am now. Um, I'm probably in maybe the second best physical, you know, place I've ever been in. When I was with the Army team, I was around 36 years old. When I first got into mixed martial arts, I was I was super buff and healthy then. And now I'm only calling it second best because I'm older and a little bit slower, <laughs> but I'm back into martial arts again, doing jujitsu again, and in the gym often. I think I had told you at the racetrack, one of the things that I did change was I'm not killing myself in the gym. I used to go at four in the morning, be there for four hours a day, and that was just overdoing. I think I was hurting my body more than anything. So I've learned that happy medium of how to get enough working out and, uh, and eating right, and it's, it's starting to show. So thank you for that compliment. I think that it'll it'll only transpire on the racetrack too. And and we deal with this. This is another difference. I'm only gonna hit on the woman thing one more time as we end this show, but it's it's different for us too, because I feel like a lot of these guys, they can look a certain way and still be strong or still be alert. But mm -hmm. but with a woman, it it almost takes you've got to be happy with where you are. And every woman feels a little bit different about that. It may be in the mirror. It may be how they perform. But I think that with your new venture, too, and what you're doing and needing to be in a different place with your brain, something people overlook with the fitness stuff is, yeah, you may look better and be stronger, but 
it connects with your brain. And I think that that's only going to help you. And I think that you say you're 53. I still think you're full of crap. You're a witch or something. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But I think that I see it. You look happy. You look glowing. And and I think that we'll see it in your, your new adventure there. But I'm going to transition to our last little segment here that I promised we would talk about. And then I'm never going to mention it again to you or my sister. So this winningest woman in motorsports thing. I think it's a big deal. I think it's a big deal because drag racing doesn't get enough mainstream credit where we really have so much variety in our sport. We've got minorities. We've got women that are champions. We have more variety than any other sport, I think, ever. I mm-hmm. mean, we compete with each other no matter age, gender, race, anything. But we're about to get to the point now where it's kind of getting annoying, right? Like we we want <laughs> women to succeed. We want young girls to be able to do what they want to do. But it's 2023. You've proven yourself. Erica's proven herself. Like, get a little vulnerable with me. At what point do we stop doing this? You and Erica now, especially, you're going to be back in the in the track. I was going to say on a bike, but you're going to be back in a car. Yeah. I have a feeling you guys are going to be going tit for tat with this thing. And so at what point do we just throw this thing away and say like, hey, we're racers. We are who we are. And, and we want to be the best, period. I don't know. You know, the, my whole career when I, whenever I got announced as the winningest, as the winningest female in motorsports, I didn't even like it. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. it just kind of made me mad that that's what they were calling me because it was like a handicap, you know, I'm the winningest girl. I don't want to be the winningest girl. I want to be the winningest racer. Um, well, that's not going to happen because I mean, these guys that are, I don't even know who it is. Some guys got over a hundred wins or something, but as you know, as far as being the winningest racer on a bike, cause that was my goal. And then Andrew kind of, he had a year like Erica had last year when he won, I think nine races and he just took off with that number. And then that's what happened with, you know, Erica had such a fantastic year and she caught up big time to me, but really the whole, my whole career, I didn't care about that title and it didn't happen to where I cared about it until Erica got so close. And then I started thinking, you know what, that's a pretty damn big title to have, you know, there's there's a lot of girls now I think maybe that might have been the reason because there were just not that many girls before so who cares if I'm the winningest you know if you, you're the winningest of four girls but now <laughs> there's so many females out there so it is a big deal and um and I'm very proud of the fact that I held on to that for as long as I did um and then having Erica come along and take it away from me it makes me just as proud because I feel like I have something to do with that. You know, Shirley had the biggest thing to do with opening the door for us, but I, you know, I helped along with that. And every girl that came out, Erica went through it with the pro stock car deal. You know, there was first in top fuel, first in bikes, first in cars. So we've all gone through enough. Um, but now when a girl comes along, it's just, she's just another racer. And I, I believe all of us before them open those doors for them. So I'm proud of the title. I'm sad to lose it. When Erica takes it, although I just said earlier, I do believe she already has it, you know, 46 wins, five championships. She's the one now. Uh, But it also gives me a motivation to keep fighting. I mean, I want another win. I wrote some goals last night. I I sat down in my bed and I, I, this is something I used to do a lot and I had it done in in a while. And I just want to say one thing real quick. One of the reasons why my fitness is so important to me is because of my young family I want to stay healthy and happy and, and, and well for them. So that's another, that's probably the biggest reason I do what I do. But one of the things I used to do that I haven't done in a long time was write my goals down. 
And so last night I did it. And so number one on the list is to win an A-Fuel Dragster trophy. I, I want to win a Wally in an A-Fuel car. Um, and then in the top five of my list was to con continue to increase my, um, my health and my, you know, my physical appearance. And, and that's not a vain thing. It's just, that's, what's important to me. You know, I want to stay young for my family, but, um, along with the goals, like winning is, is I want to increase my, uh, my brand is what I had said. Like, you know, I want my Instagram pages and my Facebook page to continue to grow because that's all part of getting sponsorship. So Erica coming along and, and getting right on me with that winning as female has put a whole new fire underneath me to be better in every part of my racing career. So I can't be mad at her. I can't be jealous of her um, because it's, People like her, you know, if you want to be the best, you have to beat the best. So people like Erica and whoever else comes along to challenge us for this is only going to make us both better. So I look forward to the challenge. I hope she gets it. I'm a little disappointed that she didn't get it. Uh, whatever. Oh, Brainerd. Brainerd. I, wanted, I wanted her to do it there because I was actually there on Sunday and I haven't been there on Sunday all year long. Ended up being there on, on, on Monday for Indy too. So I'm sad because she's probably going to win it and I'm not going to be there to help celebrate with her. But don't want to jinx her, but if she holds on till Dallas and I'm there, that would be great. But she'll probably get it before then. We we actually and I'll be happy. She she may kind of give me that this sister mad thing for this, but we talked about it because I'd said this is going to be a big deal. We'd ordered one of those boards, you know, for the for the top mm -hmm. end, and I said, "What do you want to do? You know, do you want me to get Angel involved? Like, what's the deal?" And she said, "No." And I was like, "Why?" And she goes, <laughs> well, what if she's pissed? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think that it's that away, but she goes, I'm not going to be the one to ask her. I would be yeah, no. because, because we were such fans of you growing up, but, but people do have this conception of like the, the girls within the sport, we're out to get each other. We're jealous of each other, but there's a, there's a band of us, I think that are out here for the reasons that, that y'all mm -hmm. are. And you've, you've proven yourself in a way that I'm, I'm so glad. And I can't wait to show her this part of that podcast that you're bummed if you don't get to. Oh, so with sad her. that she didn't. Yeah. I want to do it. You know, and one of the reasons why, I mean, other than the fact that I just absolutely love her, I think she's a badass and she is so good at what she does and she's motivational. Um, but I love her as a person, you know, she's so down to earth and easy to talk to. But one of the biggest reasons why I feel the way I feel about her doing this and being happy for her is because of the way Shirley Muldowney treats me. Shirley is nice to me. She likes me. She compliments me. She tells me I'm beautiful. She, I mean, I look, oh my God, Shirley Muldowney even Shirley knows Muldowney, my name. Right? <laughs> yeah, she knows my name. And so for someone like her to be proud of me, that's how I want to be. You know, if, if Shirley had hated me, and was jealous of me and hated the fact that I took her record away, that would have broken my heart. So I learned by experience how you should treat people. And Erica has done nothing bad to me. You know, she's only out there working her butt off to be the best she can be. So I have absolutely no ill feelings for her doing this. I'm proud. I can't wait for her to do it. And then that way I can be motivated to come back and take it back. And we'll, we'll go back and forth. She's got many more years left than her. I'm sure she'll take it and keep it. Um, but I had it for a while and, and I'll just enjoy that. No one can take it away from me that I had it for those many years. Listen, poetically, like you said, I'd love for Erica to win the next few going out. It's the countdown. Every race matters. But how awesome would it be for you and her to be able to celebrate something together in Dallas? So we're going to speak that into That existence. would be so cool. I didn't even think of that. If she would win 
and I could win a race with her. Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, I mean, that would be kind of then she would be tied again. But I do want to go to the winner's circle. That's the whole point. That's what's going to be cool. And I think that it's we were worried about like all the firsts are gone. Like we've hit them all. Now it's just like you said, as a female coming in, now you're just another driver. You coming back and you two being able to be able to go back and forth. That's like eight-year-old Courtney is just like dying <laughs> right now. She get like you said, surely knowing her name. At the fact of you and my sister being able to do this and and me being a fly on the wall, I'm I'm so proud to even be be in the mix of it. But I gotta tell you, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up so we can get on the road and head to Reading. But I am so proud of you, Angel. Like you just said about Thank Shirley you. and all of that and Erica, watching what you've done with your career. I think 10 to one, they give up, they go away. They say, no, I don't want to be the trophy girl. No, I'm not going to try something new. No, I don't want to come back after this song. No, you are just so headstrong. You are so motivated and you are the true definition of a champion. That's why I've been a fan of you my whole life, but the sport does need you. Antron Brown is absolutely right. Thank you. And I'm so glad that I get to, to be there and be your friend and watch you go through this new part of your career. Yeah, it's a hard life. And I know Erica knows it and any other female out there. It is a hard life, even for the guys. And they think, oh, well, we just get to do this awesome, fun. You know, you get to go to all these states and you just drag race. And it's just such a fun life. And it's it's really hard. There's a lot, you know, a lot more to it than people think. But as a female, especially. um, And I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that about me because and I think a lot of fans feel the same way. But there are some people that are like, when is she ever going to go away? Yeah. You know, those, those haters that just want you to go away. But I'm not here because I'm trying to stick my face into people's faces. I'm here because I absolutely love to race. I love everything about it. I love the sport. I love the people. My husband has even said it in the past. He wishes I was as happy everywhere as I am at the drag races. That's just my happy place. And I'm going to hold on to it as long as i physically and mentally can. And I'm so appreciative that I'm, I'm given the opportunity to do so. So thank you. I love you. I think you're doing a great job. I've always been a fan of yours as well. I don't look at you as Erica's sister. I look at you as Courtney because I know everything that you've done too, and all the things you're involved in. I'm really proud of you as well. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And let's plan on meeting like around 430 on top of a bowl in Dallas. What do you say? <laughs> Sounds good. I'd love it. I don't think I've ever won Dallas as a matter of fact. So oh, you get the hat, you get the bell, you get to ride <laughs> yeah. all over. It's a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, good, good luck on Jill. And uh, anytime you want to come back on anything flow racing, you've got the microphone. I'll hand it over to you. All right. I appreciate it, girl. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thanks.